You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual podcast comes once a week, whether I'm ready or not, whether I'm rested or not, whether I'm stoned or not, whether I'm having a low blood sugar moment or not, whether I have anything useful or interesting to say to add to the conversation or not. And this week I really think is an or not week. But sometimes I rally. Sometimes we start getting rolling. The tech-savvy at-risk youth throw calls and questions and drugs at me and I perk right up. So uh, hopefully this will be one of those weeks. We'll see. This low blood sugar podcast is brought to you by audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for details. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 22 year old female and I recently started kind of seeing this guy um, I work with him, and I'm not really seeing him. Like, we had sex twice, and um, it was really good. And and then the next time I saw him, I went down on him, and we didn't have sex. And then the next time I saw him, he's like, we need to talk about rules. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's talk about rules. And he's like... You know, every time we hang out, we don't have to, you know, do anything. I'm like, okay, understandable, cool. Um, and then, like, since then, I went down on him again. And I think that there was an issue because, well, I mean, I know there was an issue. I peeved on his dick. And I know you just went over this in episode 110 because that's what reminded me of it. But it wasn't, like, barfing all over the place. I just puked up a little bit in my mouth and I hadn't eaten anything all day so it was just like like this orange soda that I had been drinking and and he but he knew because I looked up at him and then I just swallowed it because it, it wasn't nasty really you know it was just you know fucking orange soda um but the next time I saw him and I went over there and hung out he he like made a point of saying like Two hours in, hey, you know, I'm not going to have sex tonight. I'm like, okay, whatever. And it's making me mad because, one, I feel like I made an idiot of myself by by throwing up a tiny bit, just a little bit. Um, and, two, because I'm, like, I'm starting to, like, keep thinking about, you know, maybe I suck in bed or maybe something, something is going on. Um, and I'm just getting really self-conscious, and I don't really know how to approach him and say something to him. You know, like, hey, what the fuck is up? Why don't you want to fuck me? Um, so I don't really know what to do. Maybe I should just grow um, a stronger pussy, I suppose, and just, you know, tell him to fuck me. I don't really know. I wish you had left your phone number so that I could call you and talk to you about the things that really annoyed me about your call and that you really need to work on, which is not your blowjob technique. It is the upward inflection that like is incredibly annoying and I wouldn't normally mention it because I don't want to make you feel self-conscious, but Jesus fucking Christ. Come on, you're a 22-year-old woman. You need to like tame the upward inflections. And you know that upward inflection makes you likelier to throw up while you perform oral sex. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, – or <laughs> it makes people want you to perform oral sex if only to put something in your mouth. 
Uh, just saying. I'm super mean. See, I'm low blood sugar. I warned you all at the top of this show that this was going to be an ugly, stupid one, and here we go. Uh, the other thing I really had a problem with was when you said, I uh, I went down on him and we didn't have sex. If you're going down on him, you are having sex. Oral sex, ladies and gentlemen, is sex. That's why it has sex in its name. That's why sex is its last name. It's Mr. Oral Sex or Mr. Sex for short, right? It's sex. This guy, whether he wants to sleep with you or not – uh, seems pretty up in the air. He says he doesn't want to, but then when you're around, he drops trousers and allows you to fillet him, which is so gracious of him. Um, but clearly, he's ambivalent. And that's getting under your skin and you're finding that annoying, right? So don't blow him. Don't hang out with him. Don't – I know when you're young and you're insecure uh, – and this isn't a female thing. Men do it too. I did it. Uh, you're young and you're insecure. There's someone you're attracted to and they're sending you mixed signals and you feel like if you just keep at it, if you just keep you know, being your best self and giving the best head and doing whatever, that this ambivalence will burn off and suddenly they'll see you for the hot orange soda puke swallowing forge ahead blower that you are uh, and fall hopelessly and madly in love with you. That never happens. You, someone who's ambivalent and could take or leave you at the outset while you're – swallowing their loads is going to be more ambivalent down the road. It's not going to get better. Just fucking walk away. I can't tell you what his deal is. I don't know. I don't know what's going on between his ears while you're hurling orange soda into his lap. Don't know. Doesn't matter. All you got to know is what he's giving you and what he's giving you is grief. He's shifting all responsibility for the sex that you're having onto your shoulders and kind of making it your fault. And it's making you feel insecure. Now, the whole topic of like whether it was gross or not that you kept going, you hacked up a little orange soda. Everybody who's given blowjobs, I don't want to say professionally, but at a professional level for any length of time, has had a moment where they're really going down somebody and they retch a little bit. And what you do at that moment is power through it. You just swallow whatever it was. And usually it's just – a chunk of saliva. But if it's more than that, you just fucking tough it down. And then you don't talk about it. You don't say, oh, my God, I just totally like chucked up some orange soda in your, uh, around your dick. But I swallowed it. It's okay. Like that would be a TMI mistake. Everybody who gets blowjobs assumes, particularly when there's retching involved, that there might occasionally be a little spit up involved. But nobody wants to acknowledge that fact. Just like when you're fucking somebody in the ass and you pull out and there's a little unpleasantness on the condom. Your responsibility as the person fucking away at that moment is not to go, oh, my God, look, ew, yuck, ew. You pull the condom out at the bottom and pull your dick out through it, turn the condom inside out and throw it away. And then you never mention it ever again because that's a polite thing to do. Same goes for the blower-ease. When they realize there's a little puke in their mouth, you just don't talk about it. You don't mention it. You move on. Hey, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old street woman living in San Francisco, and I wanted to know how to introduce a sex toy into the bedroom for the first time with my boyfriend without making him intimidated. Um, I've been on antidepressants for almost two and a half years, and um, my psychiatrist has told me that it will be difficult for me to have orgasms on it, 
so when I started dating my boyfriend and we started sleeping together, he was concerned that I wasn't getting off. And I told him, you know, it's not you. It's the medicine. And it's not like I'm not enjoying myself. I'm having a great time. I just can't climax. So anyway, we've been dating now for about two years, and everything is just fantastic. And I've never owned a vibrator, and I'm really curious about it. I'm curious if um, that will be able to get me off, even though I'm still on the antidepressants. So yeah, I want to go out and get one, but I don't want to keep it a secret from my boyfriend, and I don't want him to feel bad if you know that gets me off. But he, but um. You know, he can't on his own, and I'd like it to be something we can use together, but I just don't know how to bring it up. You just have to be straight with him. You have to go to him and say, hey, look, I have a medical condition. You knew that. You knew that coming in. I'm on these antidepressants. It makes it really hard for me to climax. Uh, I'm interested in getting a vibrator. You said he was concerned about the fact that while you guys were sexual, he was not getting you off. Well, there's a tool out there that may help him to get you off. And there are a lot of women out there on antidepressants and not on antidepressants who need the kind of focused, intense stimulation that a vibrator can provide in order to climax. You might be one of those women, antidepressants or no antidepressants, which means if you ever want to have a really fulfilling sex life, you need to incorporate uh, – the tools that are at our disposal now, the tools that are at your disposal into your sex life. So I would just really draw a firm – I would be firm with him. Don't be apologetic and don't whine and don't be weaselly about it. Just this is my junk. This is the way it works. This is what I need. Let's go do it and roll it out like it's a big fucking adventure and it's going to be a blast because you can – the same vibrator you can – use on yourself. You can use on him too. So it's not just a one-way street with the vibrations. It's really potentially a two-way street. And if you go to any woman-owned, sex-positive, sex toy retailer in the world, if, you get, if you're lucky enough to live in a city with a Bayland or a good vibrations or a grand opening or a come-as-you-are, you can go in and you can talk with one of the sales clerks who can set your boyfriend at ease, who can – they really do evangelize in those places for sex toys and particularly for sex toys for couples. So go in and, and shop and buy and, and incorporate a sex toy into your sex life that you share with him and then he will be getting you off. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. I was just on audible.com looking around, seeing if there's a book I could recommend, and I looked up marriage and gay marriage because uh, a few weeks ago, as everyone knows, the uh, Supreme Court in the state of Iowa legalized same-sex marriage, declared the ban on same-sex marriage there unconstitutional in ringing language. Unlike California, it's really hard to amend Iowa's state constitution. So it will be a few years before that can be attempted. And in that time, as in Massachusetts, people will get used to gay people getting married and they'll see that it's not a threat and straight people will still fall in love and get married and pigs will still fill the pig manure lagoons with manure and everything will go on just as before. So, But I thought you know, maybe my listeners in Iowa would like some recommendations about gay marriage books that they can listen to on audio just like uh, they listen to the Savage Lovecast. And there's some there. They're good. There's some Christian ones if you want to borrow some tips from the haters for your own big gay marriage. 
There's also a book if you have small children that you're going to take to a gay wedding that you can get on audible.com uh, called Uncle Bobby's Wedding, which is pretty good. But the gay characters are anthropomorphized hamsters, which I don't know. I think that if you're going to try to make people calm down about gay weddings, you might want to whole, avoid the whole small rodents issue. You wouldn't want to anthropomorphize gerbils or hamsters or other sorts of tiny potentially insertable rodents and no it is not uh, read by richard gear which is a question from the tech savvy at-risk youth uh, it is read by his author sarah s brannon um but besides the the whole hamster issue i support the goals of the book and the message of the book and you can listen to it at audiblepodcast.com again go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for a free audiobook download today hey dan uh, I am a 38-year-old straight female. Um, I used to be married for 15 years to my first boyfriend. Got a divorce three years ago. Um, I've dated some since then, but I uh, hadn't gotten into a relationship. I had two rules. One, uh, nobody who was currently in a relationship because I didn't need the drama. And two, no long distance because I didn't need the drama. And of course, naturally, I met a guy who actually had already known um, through work from years ago. And uh, he lives about 2,000 miles away, and he's married. And uh, his wife uh, knew that he was kind of interested in me and gave permission. I've talked to her. I've clarified it, um, getting to know her, getting to know him. We've been emailing. Um, and we've gotten together once. And I really like him. Um, and the sex is great. And, uh, well, we haven't fully had sex yet, but close enough. Um, chemistry's definitely there. And I don't know what to do. I mean, I really like him, but this is all the things that I said that I was not going to do. And uh, I've never done anything poly before. I have friends who have gotten into relationships like that, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I have two kids that are with me half-time. Um and everything's above board. Everybody knows about everything. Um, but I'm wondering if this is just like a bad soap opera waiting to happen. <laughs> it involves a lot of really good sex. So, uh, now you know who's in charge. You made <laughs> up all these crazy rules for your genitals. Your head was saying X is out and Y is out and I'm in charge. And... Amazingly enough, your your pussy's in charge, not evidently so. Not yeah. Your head and desire is often what upends people's weird little rules. You know, I will never. I'm not kinky, and I think SM is really wrong, and la la la. And then you fall in love with somebody who's kinky, and you're like, well, I guess I'll give that a chance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. Uh, people revisit what they thought were hard and fast rules because their heart takes them places they didn't think they were going to go. Uh, to use an example from my own life, I uh, always wanted a boyfriend who was a little older than I was, uh, had a real job and <laughs> a little more secure income than I had because I'm just a weirdo <laughs> and a jackass, and who was kinkier than I was so I would never feel like the freak in the relationship again. And I ended up meeting a guy who was seven years younger than I was and didn't have a job and was vanilla <laughs> and fell in love with him. And I was like, well, there go my rules, Right. Yes, well, the heart wants what the heart wants, I guess. Right, exactly. Look at look what it got Woody Allen. Isn't uh, Sue Yee <laughs> Oh, do we have to? <laughs> well, you brought up that quote. That was a Woody Allen quote. Um, oh, God. Okay. It, you know, whether this thing is bad, 
obviously it doesn't have, unless they're poly and looking for a permanent third, and as I've said a million times to the consternation of my poly friends, I've been to a lot of poly weddings, and I've never been to a poly third anniversary party. Um, if that's what they're after, it's probably not going to play out that way. Like, yeah, they probably have, it's really not. Yeah, they so. have thirds who cycle through, right? Evidently so. And the question for you is, do you want to be that third? And it sounds like you do. And you won't be crushed and you won't be disappointed if you adjust your expectations. If what you expect out of this relationship is you're going to get to know this couple, they seem really nice and respectful, and they're doing this in an ethical, upfront way, Yeah. and I can enjoy him and I can have some sex and some companionship when he's around, and however long it lasts is how long it lasts. And if we can bring it to a conclusion without, you know, having to do, you know, the dramatic crack-up conclusion that everyone feels <laughs> like has to be the end of any romantic entanglement. It always has to end with an explosion or a death, right? Yeah, Somebody dies, yeah. your marriage is a success because you didn't divorce, your marriage didn't fail. <laughs> uh, and if, you know, if you, you can't break up for no reason and you can't, you can't end something because it's been good, but now it's, now we're done and let's be friends... Right. Because there's no drama there, right? And so if you go into it knowing it's short-term, mutually mm-hmm. beneficial, totally above board, not anything I expected once upon a time that I would be capable of doing, but here I am doing it. So obviously the rules I set out for myself in the past weren't uh, well-evolved uh, to, you know, to suit me in my adult sex life in the real world. And this okay. is a contingency. It may not be how you always want to conduct your sex life, but you're making an exception for him mm-hmm. because he's worth it and because yeah. he's earned it in a way. Because like his wife is down with it, they've been really. It sounds like they've done everything right. Yeah, they've been really above board on everything, and you know we're we're all talking about stuff, and and you know there's not any secrets from what I can tell, and and that includes flaws as well as good stuff. So. Right, and that doesn't mean it won't end with a crack up. It won't. Doesn't mean right. somebody won't get their heart hurt a little bit. That can happen even when everything ends amicably. But it sounds like you're you're alone, right? Yes, I, I'm currently. Well, I have uh, my two kiddos, but that's different. Right, you you don't have a romantic partner right now. No, I don't. And sometimes when people are divorced or divorcing, or really sort of on hold. It can be mm-hmm. good to meet somebody who can't be yours, but who can it be available sounds- to you. Well, you get to have a little intimacy, but your independence, too. You get to experiment with, uh, you know, a kind of sex that allows you to perhaps feel less self-conscious because you're not auditioning for life partner status, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, I can, and you see can that. Kind of have it on your own terms, and have some have a connection, and have something regular and dependable that isn't going to swamp your life or distract you from your kids, or be overly complicating. <laughs> I don't know about it. not overly complicating. Seems like this would be fairly complicated, but well, no, not really. Not when you think about it. When it's you know, if you were single and living in your town, and you were attracted to him and dating him, you know, that could be potentially very complicating. Like, what, what does that mean? The further in you get, the more you like him, the more sex you have. What does that mean for your future, for where you're going to live? What does he want? What do you want? Is he a potential life partner? Is he not? Oh, okay. Those complications are what point. I'm talking about. Once you hammer out an agreement with him and his wife, like, about what the boundaries are, what he's allowed to do, and you know that everything's on the up and up, so you're not participating in an, in an infidelity. Right. Then you don't Which have to talk important. about any of that shit anymore. 
<laughs> and you don't have to worry about the future because it's just for now. Like they say, Avenue Q. Just for now. Okay? All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Go for it and give us some regular status reports. (laughs) I could probably arrange that. Okay. Hey, Dan. I had a quick question. I found out recently through Facebook that a couple of really good friends of mine were dating, and they're both gay. They're both very openly gay. And I really generally have no problem acknowledging that. And I mean, one of them works as you know, an AIDS counselor, an HIV counselor with, you know, young gay men in the city. And I forget what the other one does these days. But I finally got, I finally found out they were together. And, like, I had a non-hetero moment. And basically my question was, is it okay to, you know, hurt your gay friends as gay friends to their faces? You know, I, they, they're both very out about it. But as I, I was, like, on the phone and having my non-hetero moment, I was very, I was like, hey, you know, these are, these are my gay, you know, you guys are such awesome gay guys, and I felt like I might be insulting a little bit. So if you could clarify that, I would appreciate it. The problem with America right now is that the bigots have no filters. They'll just open their mouths and say whatever the fuck they want to, however hateful it is. And the nice people are so fucking timid. They're out. They're gay. They're fucking each other. It's on their Facebook pages. Just Fucking tell them that you know and that you dig it and you like it. You love them. They're your gay friends. Gay, gay, gay. Fact, fact, fact. You can say whatever you want as long as you're supportive. And you are. And stop being such a freaking scrotum about it. Speaking of scrotums and male genitalia, uh, I'm going to give somebody a call here who wrote me. This happens a lot. I say something on the podcast that's totally assholey. Like I use the word retarded as uh, to mean – not very bright, which I shouldn't do. So I actually have a new word for that. Leotarded is the new word. Don't say something's retarded. Say it's leotarded, which means it's wearing a leotard, which looks leotarded, right? You look like a total leotard in a leotard. How can you help but look like a leotard in a leotard? And so I'll say something like that and I'm an asshole. And then people write me. They send me emails uh, at Savage Love, which I can't broadcast very easily because um, I actually am illiterate and I can't read. I am leotarded. Uh, So every once in a while we call one of these people back who wrote me who just should have called in the first place the number 206-201-2720 and recorded their complaint about such a thing as leotarded. But we're going to give this woman a call now who had a very good uh, retort for some asshole stupid thing I said on the podcast. Hold on. Hello. Hey, it's Dan. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Uh, so first, for the listeners who are already typing, who yes. are you? I'm Professor Deborah Stearns. I'm a college professor at Montgomery College in Maryland. And, and I teach I'm in psychology, and I teach human sexuality. And what makes you think that you have a right to correct me? <laughs> I don't believe I did correct you. <laughs> I supported your basic point, which is that... Uh, if you're just talking about pain disorders, then women are more likely to have genital pain and pain during sex, which technically is called dyspareunia. Which is not what I said. Your your beef was that I said that I was really glad I was gay because dick is so obvious and so easy. Yes. I've never met a guy with mysterious, debilitating dick pain. Right. And And, and in that, you're you're lucky. Like, you've got a handful or a mouthful or a buttful of spunk, and you're like, Yahtzee, we're done. We can go to bed now. Um, whereas women, you know, they're faking it. They're not faking it. They're orgasmic. But men fake too. There's data that men fake orgasms as well, just at lower rates. I mean, they don't do it as often. And less successfully. 
Well, I mean, if you're wearing a condom, you can certainly get away with that. <laughs> okay, but now walk us through your points in your letter. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I, it depends on which point you want me to talk about, because I'm happy to talk about the fact that, yes, men have genital problems, which, I mean, you know. You, like you what? Know. Like, I, I, uh, men's dick, all dick is the same and works just great, right? Oh, dear. Oh, no. No, I mean, there's the most obvious, that, you know, if you've, been on the planet in the last two years, you know about erectile dysfunction, right? So there's obviously problems. But there's a pill for that now, so solved. Which does not work with everybody. Oh, there's a wonderful book called the. I know, I know. Form. There's a wonderful book called the Viagra Myth, which talks about when Viagra works well and when it just doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so you know, so uh, some of this is very obvious and, and certainly well known, but some of it is less well known. You know, things can happen in terms of infection. You know, you and the tech-savvy at-risk youth certainly know about STIs and talk about them, those can cause pain in a variety of ways, including pain during sex. Mm -hmm. So that can happen. And then there's Pyronies disease. Right, Pyronies disease, which is really rare. I mean, the, these get into more rare things. This is less than 2% of men are going to ever have this, um, but it's where there's a fibrous tissue that builds up in the penis and can cause um, a right curvature. Ankles. Yeah, it can cause a curvature or sometimes some other kinds of shape differences in the erection, but also can cause pain. And this is poorly under I mean, we don't know what causes this. There's some theory that it has to do with trauma, but we don't really know. There's some good treatments, though, so people don't have to suffer with it. Uh, I think it's the communion wafer that causes it. All righty, then. <laughs> so communion wafer born illness. Oh, no. Um, okay, so your beef with my basic point, though, is that I shouldn't put it out there that uh, dick is easy and works well in almost all cases, whereas vagina is complicated. Well, I, I think there's a long history of saying, women, they're so complicated, we don't understand them. Men, simple. And, and uh, you know, I'm a scientist. I want to stay grounded in the data. And to some extent, there's some ways in which men and women do differ, and that's certainly valid. And in terms of, you know, specifics like genital pain or something like that, there are gender differences. But I think oversimplifying men's sexuality is problematic, too. I mean, first of all, at one basic Because it'll point, make the freaks feel like freaks. <laughs> Well, It'll right. make that tiny percentage of men who have problems feel like they're a tiny percentage of men who have problems. That too, but the other part is that, you know, part of your focus was, look, if I get him to ejaculate, then all is well with the world. And ejaculation and orgasm, first of all, they're not always the same in men, but besides that, that doesn't necessarily mean he had fun. What? <laughs> I'm sorry to disillusion oh my you. God, my, my world is crumbling before <laughs> my eyes. Oh, no. All those, all you have to go contact all your old lovers. I thought they were content, and now you tell me that... And they may well be. I'm orgasm sure... Orgasm is no measure of, of happiness? I'm sure with you they were. I have no <laughs> doubt that you contented all of your lovers. But, you know, I think sex is more than just the final moment. And somebody can have a really bad time and respond sexually. I completely agree. So, We're in complete agreement. Yeah, I know. Just, uh, you know, a joker. And, I know. Uh, to boil things down to black and white, <laughs> and, which is better, and I happen to think Dick is better. I'm glad. But I have a bias. Because then you're I pleased have a well-established exactly. upfront bias. And you're pleased with your own equipment and the equipment of your lovers, and this is all good, and I'm glad you haven't had problems. <laughs> but we shouldn't put it out there that men never have problems and all women, and, you know, the implication being that all women do, which is not my intent. Like, there's a right. lot of women out there with junk that goes. Right, right. And the other thing you said was that women are much more likely to call into your show, but that's part of a pre-established pattern of women being more likely to seek help. That's true. And men, particularly genitally, I think, are very unwilling to seek help because we have this whole myth that the penis is all of their masculinity and it's their whole self, and if they come in and say it's not working right, what does that say about them as a man? You know, so there's a whole lot of gender stuff that's going to play into whether men are even willing to right. come in and talk about it. Right. And the flip side is... Uh, 
you know, there can be men who have genital pain, genital problems, who don't want to go get help because they don't want to undermine their masculinity or they feel insecure about seeking help. There are also, and, and some people believe this is where some of the undiagnosed genital pain comes from, we sort of celebrate women who have genital dysfunction. That there's services, there's help, there's sympathy, right. and there's right. a get-out-of-fuck-free card, right? Well, I think partly it's also that we assume that sex is not only uncomplicated for men, but invariably pleasurable, mm -hmm. that men have a basic sex drive and they're entitled to it and it's always fun and they always want it. And for women, we sort of understand that they have a sex drive, but we're still dealing with Victorian-era ideas that sex is really just something they suffer through, that they don't really want to, they don't necessarily have fun. Wait, wait, and... women have fun? <laughs> only if they've sex? called your show. <laughs> Not the impression I get from half my male sometimes, but all from the guys. It's like, no, no, women want to have sex. They just don't want to have sex with you. <laughs> it is important not to overgeneralize. <laughs> so, so I think there's a lot of it. I think you're right that we're more sympathetic to women who... Which will then elicit more responses. Right, you exactly. Know, more advice-seeking and help-seeking when there's exactly. going to be coddled and there's going to be sympathy for you. And I think there should be sympathy for everyone. And that's where we part ways again. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but I think, I think that some people good people... Be slapped. Uh, well, only if they have consented to it and that it's safe, sane, and consensual, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, hey, listen, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Oh, thanks for calling. Thanks for, your, thanks for the download and the wrap on the knuckles and the POV. Oh, no problem. Bye. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm a 18-year-old uh, bi guy from Seattle. And um, I'm calling because I have sort of a dilemma with a couple of my friends. Um, there's a couple of girls who I've known for a little while I'm going to uh, college with right now who um, offered to have a threesome with me. And it's something that I'm really, really interested in. I mean, there are two girls that I'm like very attracted to. But the issue with it, you know, is that I... My roommate, who I've been best friends with since I was probably five, has you know, he feels he has a pretty big crush on one of the girls involved in this proposed threesome, and uh, so you know obviously I don't want to you know I want to protect protect his feelings. I don't want to go off and you know have some kind of escapade with one of these girls and then just completely crush him. But the thing is, is that uh, you know she's. He doesn't even, you know, he doesn't have, like, a shot with her at all. She, he's asked her out um, a while ago, and she turned him down, and he's not pursuing her at all anymore. He just kind of has sort of these residual feelings. And, uh, but yet, also, he's, he's one of those guys who uh, sort of picks girls to fall madly in love with and not really do anything about it and then just sort of maintain these feelings for years and years on end. And so... She's actually one of probably like five or six girls in a circle of friends who he feels this way about. And uh, so I, I, I'm kind of, under, you know, I kind of feel like maybe it's a little unreasonable of him to uh, not want me to you know, have the threesome with her or, you know, be, you know, have sex with her or whatever, just because he, I, I don't really think it's, uh, it's reasonable for him to just kind of look around at all these, you know, gorgeous girls who I'm surrounded by going, mine, 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 and making it impossible for me to sort of explore with uh, these girls. I'm kind of a terminally nice guy, and I, I have a hard time seeing, you know, when the, the line is that uh, 
I should just say, fuck it, and, you know, go for it, and when it is actually inappropriate to, uh, you know, go through through with this, and I, end up, I feel like I end up missing out on a lot of things because I end up playing it safe and not going for it, and this isn't something that I want to miss out on just because I'm either overly concerned about my friend's feelings or whatever. Would you please fuck these two girls already? Just shut up and fuck these girls. Uh, there's a lot of resentment in your voice boiling just underneath the surface for this guy, uh, this good friend of yours who basically tags every pretty girl he sees as someone that he has feelings for, is in love with, to create a virtual harem to really kind of castrate his circle of male friends, uh, beta male friends, who feel like they have to hang back out of deference and respect for their friend because he has feelings for all the women on earth, three billion of them. He has dibs on all. You can't live like that. What you do, you go, you fuck them, don't ask permission. You know, if he was a different guy, if he didn't do this, if it was really about this one girl and he sort of had vestigial feelings for her, and but he was capable of having, you know, NSA sex or not getting his heart involved, you might owe him a, hey, ladies, you know, how about a four-way, my friend, blah, blah, and then see what they say. And if they say no, go fuck them, Right. But if they say, yeah, well, then you did right by your friend. At least you got him in her pants, this one girl that he had an obsession with in her pants just once. Uh, and what a what an awesome friend you would be. But, you know, he wants to fuck everybody in your social circles. Every single girl is off limits to you and all of his other friends because he's carrying 10,000 torches. Fuck him. Fuck him. And then go to him and tell him you fucked her. Fucked them both. Hey, I had a three-way with... So-and-so and so-and-so. And And didn't you used to have feelings for so-and-so? Well, you know what? She was awesome. But thank God you have all these other girls you're interested in, right? Hey, Dan. I used to be an escort. and I'm gay, male. Um, And this was about five years ago. And I did it for about two years. And all in all, I didn't have a bad experience. Actually, the experience um, was pretty good. Um... In general, the men that I met were not assholes, and I walked away having had a decent experience. But it was time for me to move on into other things. Um, for no other reason, I was just getting older, and it wasn't really um, the career that I saw for myself. As a result of that, though, uh, it makes dating a little awkward. Um, when I've dated new guys, the options that I see myself with are either A, to be very blunt and tell them where I'm coming from relatively early, um, or to hold back on it and tell them later. The problem is, is that, you know, the first couple of dates, generally people want to know so what you've been doing for the last couple of years. And I either have the option of lying flat out or telling them the truth. When you tell people the truth right away, there's an initial knee-jerk reaction, which is kind of understandable. I mean, I had that knee-jerk reaction before I was ever involved in that profession. And I only learned that my knee-jerk reaction was a little misplaced after having done it. So I can understand it, but I also feel like it turns a lot of guys off and they don't understand the whole scope of things. The other option, though, is to lie from the beginning and then hope that they're going to be cool enough later on in the relationship when you have the big reveal. But then for me, I feel like the relationship is based on a lie. So, and it, and it's turned out to be that way. I've had experience with both of these options, as it were, and that's kind of been my result in general. Um, so I guess my question is, is how would you go about this in a way that's going to 
not necessarily scare off the good guys, but isn't also going to base a relationship, a potentially good one, on a lie. To tell it right up front, to tell at the very beginning, you know, people often feel like they have a right to know going in, something like this. Uh, And yet people also sort of subconsciously realize that someone who blurts something like this out on the first date has boundary issues, that they don't have a really high emotional IQ because that's not the sort of thing that somebody when they've just met you and they're just getting to know you can process or handle. And also you throwing it out right away may make them think that this is – uh, current part of your life or something you're going to tell their parents about or something you just tell anybody and everybody about. Uh, not that you should be ashamed of it, but there are people uh, who need to know your full sexual history and people who don't and don't want to and don't uh, uh, want to have it tossed at them for no particular reason. So I'm really going to come down between these two uh, options you set for yourself, which is to tell right away, which turns guys off, turns, scares away the nice guys, and the idea that if you wait for the big reveal – that the relationship is based on a lie. And I would argue that that's not true. It's not based on a lie. It's just that when you wait for a little bit, not forever, not you know, two years, not even a year, but when you wait a little bit, it's not the big reveal. It's just that you need to wait until you get to that point where full disclosure of these sorts of things, of things that might really matter, is warranted and called for because you're getting more serious. And as you know, you're, you're dating over a period of a few months and you both realize you really like each other. You like the people that you've presented uh, to each other and that you're spending more and more time together and this could potentially be a long-term thing. Then it shows a high emotional IQ and a sensitivity to disclose, to say, you know, before we get in any deeper, before we get any more serious, there's this thing – for a couple of years I escorted – please ask me any questions you want. I'm, you know, disease free if that's true. Uh, you know, I emerged unscathed. That wasn't hurt. Uh, I had a lot of uh, misconceptions and believed a lot of myths about sex work that now I know aren't true. And what you'll get, what you want to do is you want to bring somebody to that edge where they're going to weigh what the, what you've just told them about yourself against the person that they've gotten to know and they can't do that if you blurt that out on the first date, if you do the disclose immediately thing. They can't weigh who you who they know you to be against this thing that you've done that, that they might think is inconsistent with the person they've gotten to know. And then they'll have to reconcile those two things and they may want to see the relationship through if they've had enough of a taste of regular you, of non-escorting you, of dating you to decide that that's worth it. So wait – for the big disclose. Don't wait as long and don't regard it. Don't take the position yourself that the relationship is based on a lie. It is not based on a lie. Just when you're initially dating, you don't owe them every dirty secret. You don't owe a full disclosure. It's not a deposition. It's a date, right? And you'll get there in good and an appropriate time before they're in too deep. Hi, Dan Savage. Um, I am a 21-year-old college student who uh, dances as a go-go boy on the side. Is is there any way for somebody in the sex industry to have a functioning relationship? I don't know. Um, you know, I don't use real drugs. I was never raped or molested. Um, certainly not dead behind the eyes, and I'm not terrible looking, but just seems the second anybody finds out, uh, you know, what I do on the weekends, uh, 
tends to kill a relationship or, you know, people tend to have preconceived notions about it. Uh, is this just the plight of the sex worker or is there some way to get around it? It is the plight of the sex worker, really. Uh, that a lot of people out there have hang-ups about sex work and sex workers and wouldn't consider dating one. Uh, the superpower of the sex worker, though, is you're going to meet a lot of people and you're going to meet them with your clothes off. Uh, so you'll have people lining up who are interested in you sexually. Not a lot of those people would be interested in you as a person, uh, but some of them will be, uh, whether you meet them through work or uh, at school or in the course of your other life. What you need to do, I think, uh, because this is who you are right now, is just be open about it and unashamed of it. Uh, you're shaking your tail to raise money to help put yourself through school, and there's nothing wrong with that. You're not strung out on drugs. And you're not a hooker. Now, there's anything wrong with that either, but people have more of a problem with that generally. And the people who that scares away right now at this stage of your life, you should be happy to be rid of them. Let them run away. And if you disclose to enough people and you meet enough people, you will meet people eventually uh, just through random chance who aren't scared of it, who may be intrigued by it and who like you and want to date you not because you're an escort but not not because you're an escort. So just keep at it and keep being open and honest about it and you will find the right person of indeterminate gender. You didn't mention whether you're looking for boys or girls. And on that weird, low-energy, mumbly moment, we're going to leave it. This is the end of this week's installment of the Savage Lovecast. 206-201-2720 is the number. If you'd like to record a question for a future podcast, you download us every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com. And me and the tech savvy at risk youth, pardon me, the tech savvy youth and I will be with you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>